All right, open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We're going to close up the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9, today. Um, and I'm interested, what did uh, Lee Nelms do up there today? I saw you, you and Janetta waiting in the wings. Super cool. Awesome, awesome. That is great. Uh, groovy. All right, so you'll see uh, Lee Nelms and Janetta Adair uh, in, in big church in just a few minutes. Anyway, uh, we're closing up John chapter 9 today. We start in verse 24, and this is God's word. So for the second time, the Jews called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, uh, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you are born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, about uh, 25 years ago or so, uh, there was a poet laureate of the United States uh, named Billy Collins, and so I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a, there's a poet laureate, there's like a main literary poetry guy, um, uh, Billy Collins was his name, and he was a poet laureate, I think, for four years, and then he was the poet laureate of the state of New York for another four years, but what's interesting about him is when he, when he became poet laureate of the United States, um, he came out with a, a compilation very quickly called Poetry 180, it was a book, and it was not poems all by him, some, some were by him, but it was, a, it was 180 poems, and uh, so it was 180 poems, so you get the title, but it was also 180, like flipping around, and the, the, one of the reasons it was called um, uh, uh, Poetry 180 is that um, his, one of his desires was to de-obscure uh, poetry in the English language. Um, poetry had become very um, specialized and obscured. For instance, if I worked on rockets and I also was a poet, I would write poetry and would have all kinds of stuff about rockets and, and technical lingo that nobody really knew. And it was deep, 
but you had to study rockets to understand it. And so people would read poetry and they'd go, oh, this is weird and hard to understand. It doesn't make any sense. I see that it's intelligent. I see that it's words put together, but none of it makes any sense to me because it's so obscured uh, by, by, its, by its loftiness, by its uh, exclusivity. Um, and, and the deep stuff was uh, not understood by common folk. And so uh, poetry was kind of put off to the side. And it's a, it's a real shame because poetry is a very important part of being a human being, uh, being, being a um, relational uh, human who uses language to communicate. Um, and so uh, he wanted to flip it around to make it accessible. I say that because of this main idea, which is this. Christianity isn't about learning. It's about light. Uh, one can amass a lot of information about the Bible and about God and theology. Uh, one can create a track record clean enough to run for Congress. Um, I mean, you could see, you could be a, you could be a 15-year-old going, you know what, I haven't really made any giant mistakes yet, um, uh, on social media anyway, and um, I really know what I want to do, and I want to run for Congress one day, so I'm going to live my life real cleanly, and I'm going to do everything I can do to go down this narrow channel and be clean enough to float on through and run for Congress without being destroyed uh, by the media. All right, you could do that. So you could amass theological knowledge. You could live a really, really clean life and not have anybody be able to point the finger at you. Um, You could also present an illusion of religiosity where you're just very sincere and very dedicated and very committed to the church and their functions and their politics and all that. You could be all those things and still be eternally and tragically as far away from God as east is from west. That was a problem of the Pharisees. Um, they, they loved the idea of obscuring um, the knowledge. They loved the idea of being in the know where they were the ones who had access to God and they were the lives who were so wonderful and should be emulated. Uh, they enjoyed that. That was the case of the Pharisees uh, in our story here today. Now, fast forward a little bit uh, to the year 300 and beyond. Um, the... the Rabbinical laws started to build and build and build and build. So God gives them law, um, and then they start building laws on top of laws. In fact, I have a little printout here. Yeah, I found this on the Internet. Um, they start building laws on top of laws, and uh, to the point where um, back in Jesus' day here, there were 613 rabbinical laws, right, in addition to God's law, 613 more laws. Uh, 248 of them were positive, 365 of them were negative, and there were three categories within that. So you got God's law, and then you got laws on top of God's law. Now, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, uh, some of those uh, didn't apply anymore, and today there's something like, uh, for a Jewish person today who's living devoutly, there's uh, 271 rabbinical laws, 77 are, are positive, 194 are negative, 26 of those only apply while, uh, you're, if you're in, in, in Israel, all right? So I just got up, and you can look up old rabbinical laws, you can look up all kinds of stuff, but these are just uh, Sabbath laws, Shabbat laws, okay? So I got on there, and I'm, I'm just piddling around on the internet, and um, this is from a Jewish website. These are some basic activities from which we refrain on Shabbat, the Sabbath, Writing, erasing, and tearing. So you can't write or erase or you can't go, that's a sin. Now, does that sound strange to you? 
Um, how about this? Driving in cars, you see people walking to temple. Um, using the telephone. Turning on or off anything that uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks. If you want to use those things, you have to turn them on the day before and leave them on. And then it's okay because you, uh, you haven't opened up a circuit and thus worked on the Sabbath. Uh, cooking, got to do all that stuff on the day before. Uh, automatic timers may be used. This is all from a rabbi. Automatic timers may be used. Um, the fridge light should be disconnected. The fridge can be used, but the fridge light bulb has to be unscrewed a little bit so the, the fridge is, the light's disconnected on the Sabbath. This is today. Um, what else? Oh, this is another one, funny thing. You can't, some objects can't be moved, like um, um, that, that would be work, like um, if you moved a, a vase or um, uh, uh, if you've moved stuff around, you, 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 that's working if you're moving things around. However, this is amazing. Um, you can use your teeth or your elbow or blow on it. So let's say you, you drop your uh, marriage certificate and you go, oh, you certainly don't want that stepped on or our child will spill the juice box on there. Uh, so you can't pick it up because that's work, but you can rummage around like a dog and uh, get it with your teeth. Does that sound strange to you? I mean, I could go on and on. There's, there's, more, other, there's more interesting stuff in there. Oh, yeah, this is another one. Um, Carrying gloves. You can't carry gloves. They, 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 you can wear gloves, but you can't carry gloves. If you take your gloves off and carry them, you're working. And this one was a question to the rabbi. What about tissues? If I need to blow my nose, can I carry tissues? And the rabbi goes, oh, and the guy asks, could I stitch one end of a handkerchief into my breast pocket and just leave it hanging out there? So if I have to blow my nose, I could just go, you know, at least something. And uh, the rabbi comes back and he says, uh, uh, tissues should not be carried at all. All right, my point is, I, I, I get wanting to honor the Sabbath. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe the, the heart's intent is doing it better than I do it. But point to the Bible and show me where that stuff is in there. Point to the Bible and show me how that is closer to the law of God, to the, to the heart of God. Um, the Pharisees with whom Jesus was dealing with were also focused on the law of God, but all these layers of laws upon the law that they forgot the meaning of the law, its trajectory, its purpose. Um, and so I ask you this, what, what is the purpose of the law? I mean, that's a theological question. There are all kinds of fancy answers. What is the purpose of a law, the law? Oh, to expose sin, uh, to drive us to repentance. Yes, those things are all true. What is the purpose of the law? To do those things, expose sin, drive us to repentance. It's true. But really, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to know God precisely. That's the real purpose of the law, to know God precisely and personally. What are you like, God? What do you require, God? How can I please you, God? How can I know you? How can I be in fellowship with you, God? That's the real purpose of the law. Not, I haven't done this, and I haven't done this, and I haven't carried a tissue, and I've rummaged around with my teeth and picked up our marriage certificate. In, humor me. This, this may be corny, but in my head it sounded, it was really good. Insert your name, all right? I want you to insert your name. God wants, insert your name, to be the fullest healthiest, happiest, insert your name, that, insert your name, can be. Do you know that? God wants you to be the healthiest, 
happiest, fullest living, fullest expression of yourself that you can possibly be. And I've told you this before that a seminary buzz for, word for that is flourishing, where a person is the, is the deepest, clearest, most sinless, uh, most joyful expression of their own selves. That's why heaven is so help, hopeful, y'all. You don't disappear when you go to heaven. Your personality doesn't disappear. Your mind doesn't disappear. Your mannerisms don't disappear. Now, you, what, what we're going to be like, we don't know. We'll be glorified. But you don't disappear. You will be the fullest expression of yourself. And the problem of the Pharisees here, and the reason that there are so many Bible verses de- devoted to this exchange, um, is that they're fixing their own righteousness problem in their own power. That's what they're trying to do. You can't fix it in your own power. In fact, here's a good quote for you. Where guilt is not felt, sight is not had. And I start this way because the law has very much to do with the way the Pharisees are behaving. Um, it has to do with the way they view Jesus doing a miracle on the Sabbath. It, has a, uh, uh, it, it weighs on uh, they're questioning the blind guy for a second time, and then they kick him out of the church, and it weighs in with a person's standing with God. So... Let's go to our first point, which is discarded by men. Verse 24, uh, the religious leadership comes to you, this uh, guy who had been blind that Jesus healed. Uh, they come to him a second time, and they call the man who had been blind. They said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. But what is meant by give glory to God? That seems like a strange thing. They come and they go, hey, give glory to God. Well, they're making a very clear, any Jew would know what this is. They're making a very clear reference to Joshua 7, 19, when Achan sinned. He stole some of the devoted things. He sins in Israel, and, uh, and he's held accountable. Joshua says to Achan, who stole the devoted things, my son, give glory to God and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. That is what the Pharisees mean when they say give glory to God. It's an accusation. It's freighted. They're saying, okay, um, what's, this, uh, what's this gobbledygook you cooked up again? Uh, give glory to God. Tell us the truth this time. Uh, don't hide anything back. And then they tag on, we know that this man is a sinner. Uh, verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> and that was verifiable and verified information. It was verified by the Pharisees. They interviewed the guy's uh, parents. Uh, there were plenty of people who witnessed and could, could vouch for the guy, and the guy himself was testifying, going, yeah, you talk to my mom and dad. I was born blind. I'm telling you, I don't know about all your, I don't know about all your concerns there, um, religious, political, or otherwise, but I can tell you this, that I was blind, and now I see. Now, let's hit the pause button for just a second, because... Um, at this point, this guy is not a redeemed man. He has not come to a point of conversion yet. Now, he has, he has identified this Jesus person. He has, um, they say, oh, who is he? Uh, what's he like? Who, who is he? And he has identified him as a prophet. That's a pro- about, probably about as deep as he could go, going, I don't know, what's higher than a prophet? He's not an angel, but uh, he's at least a prophet, and so the guy is identifying Jesus as a prophet. Um, here's, he, 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 um, he, he hints at um, possibly being a disciple uh, when he makes an accusation of the, to the Pharisees, which we'll talk about in a second. But my point is saying, 
my, my point is that it, the testimony is very powerful, and he is on, in the process of becoming a Christian here. Um, and it makes, the, it makes the testimony more potent. He's not really a believer yet. I mean, the Holy Spirit is blowing, it seems, and in, indeed there is a conversion moment. In fact, you heard me get choked up over the conversion moment when I uh, read the passage. There's a conversion moment. He's leaning toward it, but he's not there yet, and it just makes his testimony even more potent. He's not all the way in the kingdom yet, but he's saying, hey, look, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know what else to tell you. Very potent testimony. Okay, unpause. Verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Uh, He answered them, I told you already. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also... Want to become his disciples? Um, that, that's pretty fun, isn't it? Um, and you see where they default. They default back to Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We are disciples of Moses. Um, and so he, he flips it on them uh, deftly, by the way, and, um, and they resort straight to Moses. And here's where it gets fun. In verse 30, the guy says this. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now, you know what, folks? I, um, I, I, wonder if, um, I wonder if we're not prejudiced against the handicapped <laughs> when we read something like this. Because, you know, you read of the blind, a blind guy, and, uh, you know, he was a beggar, and he was a blind guy. And you think, oh, you know, let's automatically d- deduct like 18 IQ points just because he's begging at the gates that he's blind. That's wrong. He is, he's, he's thrusting and parrying. With the, with the religious leadership. I mean, he, he, he gets jiggy with them when he says, um, uh, oh, you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I mean, he's jabbing them. And then in verse 30, he goes, oh, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. It's kind of like, hey, you dummies. And by the way, they get the flavor. They understand what he's saying. Um, they... they um, they, they uh, say in verse 34, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? They get what he's doing. Uh, he's smart. Now, what's interesting is when they say, he kind of catches them. When they say, um, uh, we do not know where he comes from, uh, yet he opened my eyes. Isn't it interesting that just in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, um, they said this, we know where this man comes from. <laughs> and when the Christ appears, no one will where he comes where he comes from. And Jesus' reply to that, by the way, is, I come from God. But isn't it interesting? Just a, a couple chapters earlier, they're going, oh, we know where he comes from. Uh, he's just some guy. And here they go, oh, we don't even know where he comes from. Uh, they, the, the, the testimony is, uh, is pretty direct. And in verse 31, uh, it's, uh, the, the, guy, the formerly blind guy continues, and he says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now, turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 59. So go to the Psalms and hang a hard right. This is a verse I've read a hundred times in front of a room, rooms full of people. Um, Isaiah 59. And just let your minds and hearts fall on this reality, y'all. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Some of your translations say it's not too short. That's what that means. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities 
have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What did it say in verse 1? Oh, his ear's not dull that it cannot hear. It says in verse 1, his ear can hear. But in verse 2 it says, because of sin, his ear won't hear. You know, you see a Hollywood movie and somebody goes, uh, well, Lord, uh, God, if you're up there, <laughs> I'm not really praying, man, but um, if you're up there, and I really don't believe that you are, but if you are, I wonder if you can maybe help me, and, uh, and uh, once you do, then you know, get the heck out of here and let me live my life again, uh, if you're up there, uh, not really praying, man. Uh, Jim, are you saying that God doesn't hear and acknowledge the prayer of that person? This is what the Scriptures teach. Sin makes a separation between the sinner and God so that he will not hear. Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, take a deep breath of relief because you, he will always hear. You, he will always acknowledge because he acknowledges the righteousness of his son. He acknowledges that the sin debt is paid. He acknowledges that the Christian is made clean, has the righteousness of God, and is brought in as a child. But outside of faith in God, all the prayers that have ever been prayed outside of Jesus Christ, God has not heard. God has not acknowledged. I dare say that if the Pope is not a believer exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid a sin debt, who was propitiation with an imputed righteousness, not imparted, not imparted, here you go, now get to work and work out your salvation and fix your problem. You got a little bit of a head start. No, imputed. Money put in your checking account by me is imputed to you. The bank looks at your account and all I see is $85. They don't see Jim Imloff anymore. They see $85 imputed to your account. If the Pope doesn't believe that Christ's righteousness was imputed to his account, then his prayers are not heard. That goes for anybody who ever lived and anybody who ever prayed in any religion, no matter how colorful the garb. This is what the scriptures teach. So to our passage and what the blind dude is saying, he's saying, look, uh, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But uh, listen to this guy. Um, if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Well, uh, what he's saying basically is Jesus Christ is not like us. Oh, he is like us. He's human. But he's sinless in his humanity. He's the righteousness of God. He is heard by God. He obeys God. And Jesus apparently can do miraculous things like God like open the eyes of this, this person. Um, and, it, and by the way, it goes on in verse 32. Ne- this, is a, this is very easy to miss. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That's easy to miss. Never before in the history of the world has it ever been heard in humanity that somebody born blind was given sight. Isn't that something? Healed miraculously. Moses didn't do it. It didn't happen in the days of Moses. Moses didn't do it. It didn't happen in the days of the prophets. The prophets never did it or were able to do it. There'd never been a healing of blindness, but the prophets did speak of, in a messianic way, of blindness being cured. Um, in Isaiah 29, 18, in that day, this is speaking of in, in a messianic way of this Christ figure who's going to come. In that day, 
Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. And here, Jesus in front of the religious leadership makes the blind eyes to see, and the religious leadership is blind to it. All right, how does this apply to your life? Um, this, this beggar, he, like I say, he takes us to class. Um, and when he says uh, in verse uh, 29, or, you know, the, the, the religious leadership says in verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses. And in verse 34, they go, you would teach us? The application for your life is this. The, the, the heart attitude, we know, or you can't tell me, or I've got this figured out, um, is, is almost always the first um, step toward disaster spiritually. As soon as you think you got it figured out, or you don't need to hear this anymore, or you've been to this enough, or you know you're really sick of church and uh, you're just going to kind of take a couple year vacation and uh, you just don't really need that anymore. As soon as you start doing that, you are in spiritual you are you are, you are in spiritual uh, tr- trouble. Um, as Christians, if we find ourselves privately thinking um, that we can tackle this thing or this thing without God, oh, take inventory of your soul. Um, it's very easy. You've heard me confess this to you before. A personal sin challenge of mine. I've, I've learned that as I get older and I gain life experience, you know, life experience, life wisdom is different than spiritual wisdom. I mean, you, you can amass information and, and make smarter determinations in life, but that's, that's just becoming wise in, in living. There's a difference between spiritual wisdom and that, um, the, the, the sanctifying activity of the soul and just picking up some, some uh, skills. And what I found personally is that as I age, I'm able to work with greater economy and I get a little bit of a rhythm going and it becomes easier to operate in my own power. Have you found that? You get better at stuff. And uh, it's easy to have the line get blurred between who's doing what. Um, And uh, again, where guilt is not felt, sight is not had. And the reason the Pharisees like the law is that they like this barrier between them and what God really wanted. Um, and that is a thing that we should uh, be uh, careful of at all times. All right, our second point, found by Jesus. Uh, look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the first little application we can make, of course, is that, uh, that it's an easy one to see, is, and it's wonderful, is that Jesus came to him. Jesus heard that they kicked him out of the church, and Jesus found him. Jesus came to him. Uh, the man had literally, at least uh, actually, uh, effectively, been excommunicated. He'd been excommunicated from church. He'd been kicked out of church fellowship. He'd been kicked out of, of being able to worship with God's people. Kicked out. And who comes to him but the Son of God? <laughs> Is that not something? Hey, friend, um, he comes to you. And as his minister... I, I beg you, uh, submit to the Lord of glory. Receive him. Believe on him. Throw your life at his feet. Say, I surrender unconditionally. Unconditional surrender. Wave the white flag. You get all of my life, and I'm going to put my trust exclusively, exclusively in Jesus Christ and nothing else. He comes to you, O oh, troubled soul. He comes to you. Uh, I beseech you, um, yield to him. Well, he comes to this guy, 
And he asks him a question, and it's, it's quite a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? So the guy's been kicked out of church by the religious leadership. The Son of God comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the Son of Man, you've heard me say before, is um, Jesus' favorite uh, self-declaration. Of, uh, self-declaration. Uh, he called himself Son of Man. And uh, on the one hand, we go, oh, Son of Man, that's cool. He's relating to humanity. Yes, that's true. But there's a greater significance. And if you can get there quickly, go ahead and turn to Daniel. And um, so if you find uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you turn to Daniel 7, this is uh, 7 and following of Daniel is where it gets uh, prophetic and uh, sounds a lot like Revelation. Um, but, but listen to this. this. This is what Jesus is making reference to. It's awesome. Um, Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked... Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, caps, Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What a picture! This apocalyptic, uh, otherworldly scene sounds a lot like Revelation, doesn't it? Well, skip on to verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he, the son of man, came to the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus walks up to this guy. He finds this poor soul who had been cast out by the religious leadership, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you now understand his question? Do you get who I am, Jesus is saying? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the guy says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The same question applies to you and me. The clear claims of Jesus are that he came from God and that he is God. He is of the same stuff of God. He is on a mission from God, and he is the only way to God to have fellowship with him. His claims are very clear. Friend, application for you. Ask your soul, do you believe in the Son of Man? Our last point, the nature of blindness. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now that's interesting because not long ago, just a chapter earlier, John wrote um, in uh, chapter 8, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. So Jesus says, I don't, I'm not here to judge. Uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, right after John 3, 16, John 3, 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. And in about half of the Bible translations, it says, um, God did not send his son in the world to judge the world. Well, here it says, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus goes, for judgment I came into this world, 
In those other two places, it says he didn't come to judge the world. Well, which is it? Did he come to judge or not judge? And did John forget what he wrote just a little bit early and go, oops, I made a big boo-boo quoting Jesus? Which is it? Well, uh, here's a good little quote for you. This guy, Bruce Milne, he's, he's, this is a great little series uh, edited by John Stott. Bruce Milne's great. And uh, two or three commentary writers that I, I've been reading, obviously are reading and plagiarizing this guy. Um, it's, it's staggering how much of that goes on in uh, sermon writing. Um, not in mine personally, but uh, no, it's staggering. No, it's not staggering. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but here's a great quote. Jesus came primarily and specifically to save sinners in this lost and fallen world. Okay, he didn't come to judge. He came to save. He came to save the world, not condemn it. All right? But his coming results both in salvation and in judgment. The light shines in the darkness. Those who welcome it are delivered into the light, but those who refuse it turn away into deeper darkness. The same light both dispels darkness and casts shadows. Uh, that's a very good little explanation of uh, how, how uh, cohesive those ideas are. Well, here's the perplexing and stunning uh, takeaway. The Pharisees, uh, and we'll close with, all, with this. The Pharisees. Um, by their sheer education and their life's commitment. By those things, they really saw better than anybody. I mean, they knew the Bible, and uh, they knew all kinds of stuff about God, and they knew stuff about church tradition. They knew, knew stuff about ceremony. They liked their layers of religion, starting with Moses, um, who they're now spurning in their blindness. But they, they liked all the... They liked all the trappings. And I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Italy, but if you go to Italy or if you go to like Eastern Europe and you see these big giant, you know, amazing cathedral after amazing church after amazing building after amazing building, you will see people kissing artifacts and lighting candles and climbing up the stairs on their faces and rubbing bronze things. And, and uh, it just sickens the heart. It's, it's just so sad to see this, this emptiness where the, it's, it's the trappings, the trappings, the trappings, the formality, the ceremony, Christian tradition, um, uh, tradition on, on, on par with the scriptures. It's just heartbreaking. That is not the function of the law. When it comes to you uh, and a way out of your guilt and an eternal audience with God, Christ is the only way. Friend, what God wants is you. He doesn't want all your little monkey little activities. He wants you. The function of the law is that we know God precisely and personally. Christianity is not about learning. It is about light. It is about light and life. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled before you because um, we were children of darkness. We had no interest in holy things or you. We uh, conjured up a perception of what you might be like or not like or if you exist at all. Um, But when the light of life um, breathed life, when you opened up our understanding, when you caused us to be alive and to see, uh, here we are beholding and embracing you and, and we know that we pray to you and we are heard and we know that we come to you and we're received as children. Um, even at your table. We thank you for that, Lord. Um, Our prayer is that you would grow us up 
and not let us um, give to our wandering. Uh, focus us on you. Uh, let us not find the trappings of religion to get in the way of the God of real faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.